What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. So glad to be back in Portland. Tom Hartman here with you live from uh, Portland, Oregon. And a lot on the show today. Uh, Larry Cohen's going to drop by in about 25 minutes or maybe 30 minutes and tell us uh, about the uh, uh, democracy initiative. Uh, Excuse me. He's uh, the board chair of the Democracy Initiative. Uh, He's going to be talking about what happened with the Unity and Reform Commission, which he's a member of, which is reinventing the Democratic Party. Greg Pallast will be with us at the top of the next hour after that. Um, And I want to do a poll. Uh, I want to get to that poll right after the first break on the show today at at 20 minutes after. Uh, I I simply want to ask the question, should Al Franken resign, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, just just hold hold on for that. And uh, But I, I wanted to start out, this is something that, you know, this is a meme that is so important and so straightforward. When this first was published, and my recollection is that it was published back in like 2006 or seven or something like that, but um, the, uh, the, the copy that I've got right now is from 2012. It was reposted over at Daily Co's. I had gone on the air and I'd done several versions of this kind of a rant. You know, basically, Joe Republican wakes up and Joe Republican this and that and the other thing. And uh, around the same time, uh, John Gray had written the piece that I'm going to read to you. And his piece is just, you know, far more eloquent than the piece that I did and, uh, and has, has gone pretty viral for quite a while. So this is this is like the straightforward thing, right? Joe gets up at six o'clock in the morning and fills his coffee pot with water to prepare his morning coffee. The water is clean and good because some tree-hugging liberal fought for minimum water quality standards. With his first swallow of coffee, he takes his daily medication. His medications are safe to take because some stupid commie liberal fought to ensure their safety and that they work as advertised. All but 10 bucks of his medication are paid for by his employer's medical plan because some liberal union workers fought their employers for paid medical insurance. Now Joe gets it too. He prepares his morning breakfast, bacon and eggs. Joe's bacon is safe to eat because some girly man liberal fought for laws to regulate the meatpacking industry. 
In the morning shower, Joe reaches for his shampoo. His bottle is properly labeled with each ingredient and its amount in the total contents because some crybaby liberal fought for his right to know what he's putting in his body and how much it contained. Joe dresses, walks outside, and takes a deep breath. The air he breathes is clean because some environmentalist wacko liberal fought for laws to stop industries from polluting our air. He walks to the subway station for his government-subsidized ride to work. It gives, saves him considerable money in parking and transportation fees because some fancy-pants liberal fought for affordable public transportation, which gives everyone the opportunity to be a contributor. Joe begins his workday. He has a good job with excellent pay, medical benefits, retirement, paid holidays, and vacation because some lazy liberal union members fought and died for these working standards. Joe's employer pays these standards. Uh, if, Joe, if Joe is hurt on the job or becomes unemployed, he'll get, a workers com- he'll get workers' compensation or unemployment because some stupid liberal didn't think he should lose his home because of his temporary misfortune. It's noon, and Joe needs to make a bank deposit so he can pay some bills. Joe's deposit is federally insured by the FSLIC because some godless liberal wanted to protect Joe's money from unscrupulous bankers who ruined the banking system during the Great Depression or before the Great Depression. Joe has to pay his Fannie Mae underwritten mortgage and his below-market federal student loan because some elitist liberal decided that Joe and the government would be better off if he was educated and earned more money over his lifetime. Joe gets home from work. He plans to visit his father this evening at the farm home in the country. Gets in his car for a drive. His car is among the safest in the world because some America-hating liberal fought for car safety standards. That would be Ralph Nader, by the way. He arrives at, at his boyhood home. His was the third generation to live in a house financed by the Farmers Home Administration because bankers didn't want to make rural loans. The house didn't even have electricity until some big government liberal stuck his nose where it didn't belong and demanded rural electrification. That would have been Franklin Roosevelt, if I recall. He's happy to see his father, who's now retired. His father lives on Social Security and a union pension because some wine-drinking, cheese-eating liberal made sure he could take care of himself so Joe wouldn't have to. Joe gets back in his car for the ride home, turns on the radio talk show. The radio host keeps mentioning that liberals are bad and conservatives are good. He doesn't mention that the beloved Republicans have fought against every protection and benefit Joe enjoys throughout his day. Joe agrees. He says, we don't need those big government liberals ruining our lives. After all, I'm a self-made man who believes everyone should take care of themselves just like I have. Right. And that, that, uh, that move is rolling along. A couple of examples of, of uh, Trump and, and Pence and the Republicans and the so-called conservatives saying, hey, we don't need all these, so, these liberal pro- protections of people. For example, this is from Market Watch, Jillian Berman writing for Market Watch, the headline, House Republicans seek to roll back state laws, state laws, protecting student loan borrowers. That would be you. Tucked away on page 464 of a more than 500-page bill that aims to overhaul the higher education and student loan system is a provision that would prevent states from regulating student loan servicers and roll back rules already on the books in some states to monitor those countries, companies. What's at stake? Whether the firms have to answer to state regulators looking to enforce consumer protections. This bill, released earlier this month by the Republican-led House Education Workforce Committee to reauthorize Higher Education Act, to reauthorize the Higher Education Act, uh, basically 
is a preemption bill. It says, well, in fact, in the article, since 2015, states across the country have started creating their own consumer protection laws, including requirements that the companies, these are the companies that loan money to you or your kids to go to college, with the, including requirements that the companies don't mislead borrowers. But once efforts to regulate servicers at the state gained level gained momentum, the companies began pushing back the state laws would effectively would be effectively null and void if the House Republican bill becomes law. And that's an outcome the student loan industry would likely cheer, writes Jillian Berman. Consumer advocates say getting rid of these state laws could be a problem. The uh, state enforcement, of course, they're much closer to the, to the consumers. Here's another one. Uh, you know, the EPA, they're doing away with all these rules regulating chemicals. Consider perfluorooctanoic acid, PFOA. What is PFOA? It's the precursor to Teflon. It's the stuff used in nonstick cookware, food packaging, carpets, uh, you know, hot paper cups, coffee cups, all this kind of stuff. We started gradually phasing this out in 2003 because we found that it was linked to low birth weight babies. It was eliminated three years ago, 2014, in the United States. And this from the New York Times, Nicholas Bacalar, PFOA blood levels peaked in 2007, 2008, and then declined consistently. PFOA was implicated in 5% of low, ba- low weight births in 2007, 8, and a half percent in 2013, 14. Researchers estimate that 118,000 low weight births could have been prevented from 2003 to 2014, resulting in $13 billion in savings and not to mention a whole lot more healthy people. Meanwhile, the Trump administration wants to do away with state and federal laws that say that if you leave a tip in a restaurant, all or at least some of that money has to go to your waiter. If the Trump administration has its way, the twi- the, this uh, from uh, Christine Owens and Sharon Block over on Alternet, if the Trump administration has its way, the tip you leave your waiter or waitress could end up in the pocket of the restaurant owner instead of the person who served you. This week, Trump's Labor Department proposed rescinding an Obama-era rule that made the logical point that tips are the property of the servers and cannot be taken by the restaurant owner. The administration's proposal would allow restaurant owners to collect all of the tips left by patrons and do whatever they want with them. Restaurant owners could even keep all the tips for themselves without telling diners. Yep, this is deregulation. It's amazing. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program do our telephone survey on uh, whether you think Al Franken should have resigned right after this break. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. A very interesting or unscientific sample of just, you know, taking callers in the order that they were calling in. Uh, we, we had in that uh, roughly, I don't know, five, six minutes, uh, we had 26 callers Two of them said that uh, Al Franken should resign, but both of them, their calls for resignation were conditional. In other words, he should resign if something happens. I think in one case it was uh, if Roy Moore doesn't get elected or if Trump gets impeached or something like that. And uh, the other one was a similar condition. And 24 people said Al Franken should stay in the United States Senate. He gave himself a few weeks, and uh, I think that that's, that's what's going to happen. So, you know, we'll, we'll, excuse me. I think that during these couple of weeks, the goal here would be to have 
the news media actually investigate some of these allegations and, det and determine, you know, how real or how serious they are or what might be behind them. Is this a right wing hit job or not? And, you know, the simple fact of the matter is we just we just don't know. So. At its final meeting on Friday and Saturday, the Democratic National Committee's Unity and Reform Commission. Larry, we were trying. We, I was planning on having Larry Cohen on the program, but uh, oh, we have Larry. Oh, great. Well, let's put him on the air then. That's that's the uh, easy thing to do. <laughs> Larry Cohen, the uh, the uh, the head of our, the uh, board chair of our revolution, and uh, Larry, welcome back to the program. My pleasure. Yeah, great having you with us. Former president of the Communication Workers of America, uh, chair of the Democracy Initiative and uh, OurRevolution.com. But you're also on the Unity and Reform Commission uh, and people can tweet you at OurRevolution, by the way. So, Larry, what is the Unity and Reform Commission? Why should we care and what happened? Sure. So, yeah, actually, uh, I was named as the vice chair of the Unity Reform Commission when it was formed uh, as a result of negotiations between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton uh, just before the Philadelphia Democratic uh, National Convention in July of 2016. It got started in May of 2017. Uh, it was charged with four things. Uh, the big thing that people noticed was how the presidential nominee is named. So that included how do primaries work, how do caucuses work, and what about this, these 715 superdelegates? So that was, that was three of the so-called buckets that we worked on. The fourth was party reform. Uh, but uh, glad to run through quickly each of the three, each of the four buckets and what was, what was voted through. Or yes, please. you want to proceed. No, no, let, let's just go through it. So, so these four buckets you're calling them, these are like, what, areas of concern or... Yeah, and the 21 members, so there was myself, the chair was named by Hillary Clinton, and there were 19 other members. And you're the vice uh, three chair. Three were named by Tom Perez, the rest, uh, Clinton and Sanders. Mm. And uh, we split the group into those four buckets, and they worked in work groups in the four, and then we came together uh, this weekend to vote on, you know, dozens of proposals in the four buckets. Okay, so what got passed? And, 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 and for that matter, what didn't get passed that, in your opinion, probably should have? Sure. So, again, we're somewhat bound by a two-page detailed resolution that was adopted unanimously at the convention, amazingly, by 4,500 delegates. So the big uh, visible item it would be about superdelegates. So the resolution provided that the superdelegates, as they're called, are unpledged. They're not pledged through a, a primary or caucus. Um, be divided into two groups. This is, again, the resolution. And it uh, protected the members of Congress and governors and senators from what we might do in this commission. Uh, the other group, which is the vast majority, uh, about 415 of the 715, maybe a little more than that, uh, now, as a result of the commission work, uh, will be bound either to the way their state votes or the way or nationally. So some of us on the some of the 447 are appointed nationally. I'm, I was one of those. I am one of those. We'll be bound by the national breakdown of, of delegates, but the other uh, more than 300 will be bound by their states. Okay, so the, so basically the superdelegate process. So it sounds like what you're saying in, in, in bumper sticker language is the superdelegate process in the DNC, which has been so 
was so criticized during the last election has been largely cleaned up. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, largely cleaned up. And, and I would encourage um, folks to tell their senators and members of Congress, follow Tim Kaine. Amazingly, Tim Kaine, former not only current senator and VP nominee, but also former chair of the Democratic Party of the DNC when Obama was elected, mm-hmm. uh, has said that, that the rest of them should pledge as well. Hmm. In other words, he's pledged to pledge to his state. So right. we want to encourage grassroots activists to say to their senators, governors, members of Congress, follow Tim Kaine, follow the other uh, uh, so-called superdelegates from the, in, in the past, and uh, pledge to your state or your congressional district if you're a member of Congress. Yeah. So, Marvelous. yeah, we want to get them all pledged. Frankly. Okay, so that's, that's bucket one, right? Yep. So bucket, bucket two. two. Uh, primaries. So big uh, recommendations here. And I should say that all this has to be passed sometime in 2018, as early as March, by the 447 members of the DNC. Okay. So all these things need grassroots activists. Uh, 80% of those 447 are elected in their states. We need state action. In the primary bucket, it says, uh, taking dead aim at many of these East Coast states, particularly New York, it says that the Democratic Party must, through legislation and litigation, fight for uh, same-day registration and particularly same-day party registration. Uh, those would be the two big items under primaries. There's a lot of other stuff. So that's uh, so people can, 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 on the day of the election, decide to vote in a Democratic correct. Party primary even in uh, closed primary states. Right. Because in an open primary state, it doesn't matter. Yes. So New York is the worst case, as we discussed previously. You had 2.6 million independent voters in New York State had a change to Democrat on October 13th of this year to vote in the primary of September 11th next year, even though right now they don't have same day in New York, but they have 30 days before, which is August 13th. So if you're not registered at all, you can register as a Democrat on August 13th. But if you're an independent, August 13th of 2018. But if you're an independent, you're already two months past the deadline now. Wow. So we're demanding that New York, uh, but there's many other states, not nearly as bad, but bad, that they open up the party. Imagine that. And let people in. And not only let them in for primaries, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but let them in in terms of the election of party leaders who have been controlled by insiders for decades. Under caucuses, just to speed this up. This is uh, uh, bucket number three, caucuses? Yeah. So caucuses, number one, uh, the same thing. And this, this, the party controls. So this is a mandate, not a litigate or legislate. Mm-hmm. This is a mandate that, it, that in all the caucus states, which are at this point mostly smaller states with controlled by Republican legislatures in terms of if they had a primary instead, um, it says same day, we said same day uh, voting registration, they can control this. Same-day party registration, like you said, you can walk right into the Democratic caucus in the room. Also, absentee voting, it's, it's, it's disadvantaged people who are handicapped or working-class people who are working. Imagine that. So all must have absentee voting, and all must have a headcount of every precinct. So, for example, in Iowa in the past, all you got was the number of people elected from each candidate to the county convention. You did not get a headcount of who was in the room, how many were for each uh, candidate. Right. So big changes on caucuses. Okay. And bucket number four? Bucket or was that? Four, that... party reform. Uh, that's more <laughs> lengthy, but uh, the big one would be, again, mandates to the states. Uh, they have to open up. How do people get nominated? What are the deadlines at every level of party leadership? It's totally obscure now. 
over at Our Revolution, we've been trying to open that up by publishing these, you know, voluminous deadlines and, and, and rules in these parties. But it's ridiculous. Uh, so that would be the big one. But just as big for most people would be uh, the election of an ombuds council of seven that uh, if the party did not follow the charter and bylaws, uh, it could be referred there, you know, by a member of the DNC, any of the 447. And so kind of a grievance committee, is that what you're talking about? Excuse me? Kind of a grievance committee? Yeah, kind of a mm. grievance committee, but elected, mm-hmm. not appointed. Right. And, uh, and similarly for the budget, that the budget committee would now be elected people, and they, w- they would need to get notice of all expenditures over $100,000, mm. uh, and also that all those expenditures would need to be signed off essentially by the party chair or designee. That did not happen last year. Yeah. Fascinating. So uh, in the minute we have left, we're talking with Larry Cohen, the board chair of Our Revolution, but he's also uh, the vice chair of the Unity and Reform Commission of the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, um, the Democratic Party, essentially. Uh, what, what should we be doing, you know, people who are listening or watching, what, what should we be doing right now to support these reforms? So, number one, we want to get this past the Rules and Bylaws Committee. There's 35 members. They come mostly from the states. And we'll be doing stuff in our revolution to make sure people know, you know, in each state who's on there, if any. Even if they don't adopt it, it still goes to the DNC. That's in the resolution. So those 447, you know, 80 percent of whom are from the states, we need to mobilize to talk to them to say we demand at least these reforms. And then probably most importantly, within the 57 parties, uh, that are autonomous largely, except for a caucus mandate, for example. Um, we need to take advantage of the path that's here and demand that those parties open themselves up and to make the Democratic Party a Democratic Party. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a truly Democratic Party, a, a wonderful and novel idea. Well, not a novel idea. It's a great idea. Right. Larry Cohen, OurRevolution.com, the website. Larry, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Great talking with you. We'll be back with your calls, your thoughts on all this and more right after this. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So Franken, Korea, Trump, I mean, there's so much on our tables, uh, on our table right now. Oh, and Greg Palace is going to be with us in the next hour. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X, chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom, that's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use T-H-O-M as the promo code for your $100 discount. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Greg Pallast on the line with us. 
Uh, Greg is, of course, the brilliant investigative journalist, author, filmmaker. His uh, most recent uh, movie, the best uh, documentary, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. Uh, you can find it, uh, you know, all the local uh, at, at your favorite places, including Amazon. Uh, GregPalace.com, of course, his website. And you can tweet him at Greg underscore Palast, P-A-L-A-S-T. Greg, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tom. It is always great having you on, Greg. So you have uh, uh, some insight uh, based on your years of reporting and your knowledge of Alabama and Karl Rove, et cetera. Uh, some insight into what's, uh, what's what with the Alabama election. Thoughts? Well, first, how about a little good news, okay? Okay. Uh, number one, uh, just a few minutes ago, the great um, voting rights attorney, John Brakey, won a temporary restraining order to require all Alabama counties to keep copies of the ballots. Now, you might say, hey, wait a minute. Doesn't everyone keep copies of ballots? Not in Bama. That's called the Siegelman Steel. Siegelman Steel. In 2002, Governor Don Siegelman, the Democrat, won. They closed the Baldwin County um, courthouse. And suddenly they said, oh, they found several thousand more votes for his opponent, the current governor, and uh, Siegelman was uh, removed from office by these mystery ballots. The Republicans said anyone who tries to look at those ballots would be arrested. The so-called new ballots that they found, thousands, um, there's no record. No one has, uh, you know, they just said, they just announced a number. This time a judge has said, you know what, you're not going to do that again. That's quite amazing, including it will apply not only to Baldwin County, but to every county in Alabama. They're going to have to keep records of all the scans of the ballots because the machines, by the way, these uh, voting machines today are very sophisticated. They take an image of the ballot, time it, number it in order. It's very difficult to, uh, to uh, um, get around these machines if the ballot imaging is uh, turned on and, it's, and those ballots are not, uh, not thrown in the electronic trash. Yeah, this so is, this is a big, big, big uh, move for protection. Now that only leaves nine more ways that they're going to steal the vote tomorrow in, in Alabama. Okay. <laughs> nine more ways. So let us count them. <laughs> All right. I'm laughing because, you know, the destruction of, I, I, you know, in my film, Best Democracy Money Goodbye, I, I end it and spend a lot of time in Alabama. So we can count the ways. I won't have time for all of it, but start with number one, the infamous system of cross-check we talked about. You'll see my film, Senator Hank Sanders, an African-American who represents Selma, Alabama, was removed from the voter rolls because of the cross-check system. That's just one. Then there's something called caging, an Ill, which is illegal, at least till next week, um, believe it or not. Uh, the the law, the uh, rules against it expire next week, but I think that it looks like Alabama's trying it already. What is caging? You send a letter to uh, black students at black colleges in the summer when they're not there, but they're registered at their college. The letter comes back and uh, as, as undelivered, and uh, they challenge the voter, the student voter, uh, when they mail in their ballot or appear to vote. Hmm. They do the same thing to soldiers overseas. They send black soldiers um, letters uh, when to their uh, voting addresses in Alabama when there's no response uh, from when the uh, letters sent back because the soldiers overseas, but they have a legal voting address in Alabama. Again, when they send in their vote from overseas, their absentee ballot, it will be challenged. They don't know it. They lose their vote. That's called voter caging. And who's, who is in charge of voter caging this illegal operation uh, under the Bush campaign from the inside documents we obtained? It's a guy named Brett Doster. Who is the campaign manager for Judge Moore, Brett Doster, the caging king? 
He's wow. not a very good um, um, campaign manager, but he's a very good vote thief. Wow. That's just that's just a couple of okay. the tricks. Plus, let me give you one more that was in the film. Um, it, it's just ID. Uh, the the day, well, actually, within hours of the U.S. Supreme Court gutting the Voting Rights Act on June twenty fifth, two thousand thirteen, Alabama, within hours, required a photo voter ID, which could only be obtained from the Department of Motor Vehicles. And the very next day, they eliminated almost every DMV in the 10 black belt counties. So they say, you got to get this ID. And guess what? We're closing all the offices. So you can't get the ID in the black belt counties. Black belt, meaning the parts of Alabama that are largely African-American. Yes, though, I have to tell you, the name Black Belt actually comes from the fact that that's where the plantations were because of the black earth. But uh, uh, it's, it's come to be seen as, as the 10 counties where you have 75% uh, uh, minority population. And guess what? You ain't getting no ID, my friend, if you live in those places. Very, very difficult. This, that's just four of the 10 ways that they steal. Uh, looks like one may be overturned by this terrific uh, last-minute legal action by John Brakey and his team. Congratulations. How did they uh, find a judge who hadn't been appointed by a Republican? Holy cow. <laughs> I just got off the phone. And I said, wow, this, and you have to understand, Don Siegelman complained about the vote theft in 2002. They, he said, count the ballots. And so they came up with uh, uh, with these fake charges. He was put in jail for years Oh. On these crazy, uh, it was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen uh, of, of a political uh, um, attack just for his complaint about vote theft. That was Don Siegelman. And it was controlled by judges appointed uh, that were selected by Karl Rove, the, the Republican political operative. Yeah, usually you run into, uh, you know, uh, it's a very tough place to, to uh, get civil rights uh, enforced in Alabama. We are going backwards back across the bridge at Selma in the wrong direction, yeah. back into Jim Crow voting. So tomorrow, this, these Jim Crow systems could be the difference, but at least there's one little victory, and I hope it's repeated elsewhere. Yeah, we're talking with Greg Pallast, the investigative reporter. I've got a copy of the ballot that's going to be, yeah. you know, that people are going to be voting on tomorrow. And basically, it has three things. There's a, there's a ballot initiative to, I think, raise the millage to support the schools. Um, and then there is a straight ticket vote, Democratic Party ticket, Republican ticket. And then below that is vote for Senator Roy Moore or Doug Jones. And my understanding is if you both circle Democratic straight ticket and Doug Jones, or for that matter, Republican straight ticket and Roy Moore, your ballot will immediately be thrown away because that's considered an overvote. You have, you have filled Voted in too twice. many, yeah, you have, you've filled in too many, too many little circles in the ballot. Um, what, uh, where is that most likely to have a lot of impact? Well, again, one of the problems is that, that Moore's had the money. And so it's a voter education issue in other, in many states have this problem. It was uh, true in Michigan too, during the, uh, the close race in, in, uh, 16, uh, you have what's called ballot spoilage. It's one of the 10 ways. So you just got the fifth one of uh, spoiling your ballot. It, and what they do is they'll say, well, you voted democratic party straight ticket and you voted um, Jones, and that's two votes. No, it ain't. And in fact, in most states, that would not count as two votes. It wouldn't be a spoiled ballot. But the way that they have set their machines in Alabama, you lose on a technicality. Now, you have to understand, until Bush v. Gore, the, the United States Supreme Court was really clear that the voter intent 
rules. You can't play games. You can't do gotcha. Oh, you voted for the you voted Democrat and you voted for the Democrat. That's two votes. No, no, no. In the uh, before Bush v. Gore, voter intent was everything. And if you couldn't play games with a ballot, if a judge saw a ballot marked in that way, they'd say, well, it's obviously the intent of the voter is to vote Democratic. But you have this problem. Also, you have a problem that these ballots are read by machines. The worst machines are put in the poorest uh, majority black counties. And it's those machines which are most likely to reject what they can, what the machine considers two votes or in the right. fancy language is over. And, and they've had rejection rates as high as 30%, haven't they? In some, in some, some of the poorer counties. Yeah. And so that, that's one of the problems. You have crappier machines, which have a tough time um, overriding uh, the, the idiocy. Plus you'll have Alabama say, well, you can't, for example, right. and, unless Great. you keep records, you can't recount those votes. And that's what Brakey wanted today. At least we can get the records and, there we and go. recount. Greg, Greg Pallast. Hey, hang on just a second, Greg. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Check it all out at gregpallast.com. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Pallast. Greg, thanks so much. You're very welcome, Tom. Good talking with you. We'll be back. I'm here with you. It looks like uh, the world's most incompetent uh, wannabe terrorist uh, blew himself up in New York City this morning. Um, still getting, you know, information on this story. But, oh boy. It's, uh, you know, it's just continuing. Meredith in Wallensburg, Colorado. Hey, Meredith, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I, I'm late to call you about uh, um, Senator Franken, but I just wanted to say that he didn't do what he did while he was senator. Well, some of the some of the allegations, particularly the anonymous allegations, that that during a photo op he put his hand on somebody's butt, and somebody else said during a photo op he 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 put his hand on or touched her breast. Um, those were after he was a senator. Those were at the state fair. The the Leanne Tilden uh, Tweeden thing, yeah, that was back in two thousand six. And she claimed that she didn't see him again and, and carried this, this horror all, the, all these years, whereas in 2009, she was actually in D.C. with him for a party celebrating his election. But nonetheless, that's the story. Well, how do you know they're telling the truth? It, I, well, I think that it's possible they want him out, and that's why they're getting him out. I think it's possible, number one. And number two, I think that our, you know, our first, as a society, our first instinct has been to doubt people who make charges like this, and that has shifted. Now our first instinct is to believe people who make charges like this. I think that that's a healthy thing as a society. And, you know, and I've said on this program a couple of times, if a major cultural shift that brings women into positions of equality and power in the United States if a, if a shift that consequential is what's going on right now, and I believe it is, and, and uh, you know, it's, it, that's a revolutionary shift. And if Al Franken leaving the Senate is the worst of the collateral damage out of that, it's a price I'm more than willing to pay. I think it's, it's you know, it's not a good thing, but it's a, you know, there are casualties in revolutions. On the other hand... Well, you remember what happened with Acorn, right? I do. They... they did all this horrible uh, PR on it, and it turned out to be a total hoax. I wish they would at least wait to find out if it was a hoax or not. Yeah, although that was a hoax that was organized by James O'Keefe, and he, you know, he, he's a, 
you know, that's what he does, you know, is, is create these sting videos that, that are deceptively edited. Um, this may, well, this is why, you know, it'd be good for it to go through the, through the committee process and have some witnesses and whatnot to see if, if, right. uh, if this was an organized hit job or if this was uh, actually, you know, kind of a grassroots bubble up, oh my God, he's a groper kind of thing. And, and, and like I said, I, you know, we haven't had that process, so we don't really know. Meredith, thank you for right. the call. Uh, Sally in Dundalk, Maryland. Hey, Sally, what's on your mind today? Hey, I got one question about the Moore thing in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Would they have been so laissez-faire if it was a 35-year-old woman hitting on their 15- or 14-year-old sons? Well, when those women are, are high school teachers, we put them in jail gleefully. Yeah, but the guys? Yeah. Well, you know, I think in this day and age, if, if a guy was hitting on a 15-year-old, uh, you know, he'd be looking at some serious problem. Or 14-year-old, actually, was the allegation. Um, and, and, well, she's, she's actually alleging that he molested her. Um, others that he hit on them, you know, 15- and 16-year-olds. Um, and apparently a number of his friends have said that, you know, he has this af- uh, affinity for purity. Uh, very strange stuff. Uh, but Sally, I, yeah, I get your point. Uh, well said. Thank you. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's on your mind? Yeah, uh, shutting down the U.S. government, Professor. Let's you and me play a little bit of chess here. Okay. Everybody is suffering, and we know that the people have a limited voice. Whatever pains that people experience, I believe, should the U.S. government be shut down, will fall right into the laps of the Republican Party. Now, this is an opportunity for the Democrats, uh, hopefully the corporate Democrats, to get out the way. But this would be a chance for the Democrats to sneak in a very modest agenda. I'm going to speak quickly. I know you got other calls with limited time. We want DACA protection, single-payer, progressive income tax, release everybody out of jail that's been busted for weed. We want Gorsuch, uh, the Supreme Court guy that Gorsuch, we want him to resign. We want the United States to seize all foreign monies, if not brought back into this country within 60 days. We want immigrant protections. We want an apology to our Muslim brothers. We want a 90%, 91% top tax bracket and a 40% corporate tax. Okay, there are casualties of war. You're absolutely correct. But this would be a big one for us. Yeah. What do you think? I agree with everything on your list, Morris. There, you know, I might slightly tweak a few things, but I, I think that's a great agenda. And, uh, you know, the Democrats are not going to be the ones who are going to decide whether the government shuts down or not. It's going to be mostly the, 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 the hard right crazies, the Cokehead caucus, the, the so-called Freedom Caucus, the ones who, who get so much support from the Coke network. And, uh, you know, and, and we know, you know, I mean, when David Koch ran for president back in 1980, and Social Security, and Medicare, and Medicaid, and public education. I mean, we know what their agenda is. And uh, so they got no problem shutting down the government. But I agree with you. I think that it will, it will uh, politically work to the detriment of the Republican Party. And, and I think that that's why they're trying to put it off, and, and probably will put it off until three days before Christmas. And then, you know, when nobody is looking, or I, I don't know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But excellent point, Morris. Thank you very much for the call. John in Rathdrum, Idaho. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Oh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, uh, well, there are a couple of things. Uh, it's uh, the first one is uh, when they uh, the seven sailors died on the um, uh, USS McCain uh, destroyer. 
uh, I think that that accident was preventable, and and uh, it it could have been avoided if they hadn't relied on the the, the technology of GPS, which is highly imperfect, and uh, they they should go back a hundred years and have um, that put a guy in the crow's nest. Serving, uh, uh, using binoculars, uh, scanning the horizon in different directions to make sure that they avoid uh, a shipwreck yeah. and loss of life. Well, like from what that. I've read, John, apparently their radar did uh, show th- that they were on a collision course, and and there's a there was anyway. I'm I'm sure the Navy's doing an investigation, but there was a lot of head scratching about how did this happen. And it looks like at least somebody was asleep at the switch or not at the switch. Um, and, and this is the second or third time that, you know, one of these terrible collision slash accidents has happened, uh, you know, w- with, with, these, with these very, very large ships. And, and yeah, I, I believe that, uh, that naval uh, uh, personnel, not personnel, but uh, uh, the captain and uh, should uh, put uh, some uh, sailors uh, uh, using binoculars to prevent yeah. a collision like that. Yeah. And I, I no, I, I, I've that got what you said, John. You already said that. And, and, you know, bringing back the crow's nest might not be a terrible idea. John, thank you for the call. David in Pittsburgh, California. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I've got to take you off speakerphone and mute mute my TV. Hey, you know what? What? And I'll take your answer offline, okay? Sure. Uh, Comment is, uh, about a half a year ago, you mentioned the fact that we should go back to, quote, unquote, paper ballots. Yeah. I totally agree with that concept. Get rid of all of these electronic voting machines nationwide. Yep. Put them in the dumpsters, put them in the landfill, and go back to paper ballots. Yeah, that's what Ireland this did. They tried. They, this they, way, you won't have these voter fraud, uh, uh, double balloting uh, incidents in uh, Alabama and so forth and so on. And yeah. this is mostly happening in the South. Uh, yep. they, they're still fighting the civil war down there. Well, no, it's now history. now it's happening basically wherever Republicans have have power. I mean, in Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio and in Indiana and in Pennsylvania, all those states, huge irregularities in the last election, huge numbers. I mean, literally hundreds of thousands of people thrown off the voting rolls just in time for the election. Mostly people who have common Hispanic, African-American or Asian names. Uh, you know, Greg Palace has documented this so very, very well. You're right, David, and and uh, it's and we should just go back to not only paper ballots, but paper ballots that are counted by hand. Or if we're going to yeah, use yeah, scanned ballots, yeah. then there should be well, a certainly. certain percentage that gets recounted by hand as a as a verification. David, very well said. Thank you, Dion in Round Lake, Illinois. Hey, Dion, what's up? Yeah, uh, I heard Trump's speech on Friday that he said that jobs are pouring in and that uh, the economy is doing great. I disagree with him because I talked to a guy who used to work at a warehouse job at a vocational uh, recreation orientation. He told me that most of the other jobs went to the robots. So what's going to happen when the robots come into our manufacturing sector 
And I also think that our GLP uh, tax plan, uh, the corporate tax rate is not competitive enough for other countries. What do you think? A, the the average tax rate that American corporations pay is around 18%, which is right in the middle of the rest of the world. So our taxes, our corporate taxes are neither higher, uh, radically higher nor radically lower than any other developed country, although the Republicans are fixing to to make them radically lower. Um, The whole thing about the economy, yeah, the economy's uh, superheated. Uh, Lawrence Summers has an interesting op-ed on this in either the Times or the Washington Post today saying it's a sugar high. I agree with that. It's been juiced by the Fed since 2009. We'll be back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We're going to check in with Bob Nay with Talk Media News, plus more of your calls right after this. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Superbeets. Only Superbeets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Superbeets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeats.com on the interwebs. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is uh, Bob Fetrakis. He is uh, the attorney, author, professor of political science in the social and behavioral sciences department at Columbus State Community College. Uh, Website is freepress. Do I have this right, Bob? Is it freepress.org? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And the Twitter handle is freepress.org. And uh, so, Bob, you you have... um, spent much of your life. It's been, a, it's been a while since we've talked on the radio here, but uh, it, it, over the last decade and a half, you and I have talked a number of times, particularly after and just before elections, about what the heck is going on with all of these uh, bizarre Republican efforts to suppress the vote, and, and in particular, the, 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 the peculiarities of the voting machines. That's not quite the right word. But So what, what are you hearing about what's going on with this Alabama election? Well, uh, Alabama is, seems to be uh, involved in repeating uh, a problem that uh, that's occurred in a variety of different elections. Is uh, there's scanning machines? Uh, the problem is that uh, they want to turn off the audit logs and particularly the uh, the image scanners, the high speed image scanners. Uh, which are there. I mean, these, these evolved out of the banking industry, right? So mm. it allows you to audit and compare the actual vote to, uh, in fact, uh, a image of a vote cast. So it's almost foolproof. 
Uh, the problem is you can program in these in a variety of ways. Uh, there's tremendous concern that there may be a large number of overvotes because for some reason they, they put the straight party uh, vote, you know, left over from the old yellow dog Dixocrats, and a vote for uh, Senate. So people might think they're marking to show they're a, uh, a Democrat or Republican, and then they might vote, and that probably would be rejected by the machine uh, as an overvote. Right. Uh, and there was a tremendous problem in 2004 in Ohio. 90,000 votes were never counted, primarily in the Toledo area, uh, because of just such a problem. And that was, that was the one where John Kerry lost that election specifically because of Ohio. Uh, absolutely. And uh, you know, 117,000 votes uh, were never counted, which was the margin of districts, and they were all in heavily uh, Democratic uh, areas. Uh, I've sued over this very issue, uh, and, and there were really odd numbers in Ohio. Uh, uh, Donald Trump was supposed to win by uh, a half of 1%. He won by 10 percentage votes. Uh, when I sued, 14 counties won the right not to turn on their security equipment, not to turn on their audit logs, and not to turn on uh, the ballot image makers. Uh, and it makes no sense. I mean, you go out and buy uh, these state-of-the-art security systems, and then you don't turn them on? Well, you don't turn them on if you're planning to rig an election. <laughs> uh, well, uh, John Brakey, I don't know if you saw, at 118, uh, they won their temporary restraining order. Yes, Greg Palace was on in the last hour, and he, he mentioned that, and that's like, that's really good news. Um, what you know, so does that does that mean that the machines are going to be capturing these images and that there will be the images available for an audit and that the audit may be performed if the if the race is tight? Uh, well, it depends on the judge and the orders that are, uh, will be sent out. Uh, I've been in numerous lawsuits on this stuff, and uh, uh, in 2008 we got a great order from a judge which told the Secretary of State exactly. Uh, what he would be telling people who showed up and were being turned down because they didn't have a driver's license, which was not the law uh, in Ohio. Uh, also, in tw uh, 2012, uh, I filed two suits, one in federal court where the judge dismissed it, but one in state court where the uh, judge, Judge uh, Surgat, uh kept the election open uh, for 30 days uh, for our side to let him know whether the numbers looked funny or not. And we were going, uh, looking at stuff that was significantly outside the margin of error. Uh, but I think just getting that order uh, caused the numbers to look much, much better. So it really depends on what order goes out uh, and who it goes to, probably the Secretary of State, and whether or not they're going to comply with that order. Right, right. So uh, are there other concerns beyond... I mean, you know, this is there are there are some who argue that this was how the election, Don Siegelman's election in 2002 was mm -hmm. stolen from him by Bob Riley's campaign. And, you know, the, the Karl Rove folks associated with that um, by base, basically making the audit impossible and in the middle of the night suddenly discovering tens of, you know, 15,000 votes, as I recall. Um, are, are we anticipating something like this again? And, and, and are there other ways that um, that the Republicans are planning to rig this election, and what can what can Democrats do about it? Well, uh, there there is a variety of things uh, that they uh, that um, they can do to rig. Uh, 
just a, a couple different things. Uh, the question is who the programmers are. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of these counties throughout the United States, very few do their own programming. Uh, and in many cases, uh, ES&S and uh, for example, Triad here in Ohio that does a lot of the maintenance in the election row, uh, election rolls. Uh, in that case, uh, I mean, the people that own that company are hardcore right to life. They're, they're heavily involved, the Rapp family, in donating to the right to life movement. <laughs> so you need to know who's doing the maintenance and you need to know who, who's done the programming on these machines. So the machines uh, are owned and run by partisans? Uh, well, they've got the maintenance contracts. Right. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's in uh, one of the people, uh, I met a man, I went to the American Political Science Association, was talking about this. Uh, a guy comes up from the National Intelligence University and says, uh, yeah, I, I just thought I'd relay some stuff. I was just talking with James Woolsey, who agrees with you completely that you need to go to open source on all the coding and you've got to get rid of the proprietaries. Yeah. I mean, uh, ES&S, we found the key ES&S guy who showed up all, all unannounced throughout the state in 2004 you know, had written online that his goal in life was to shoot a liberal so the liberal would know right before his death that he had killed him and not the gun. Whoa. And this is the guy. Wow. So, Bob, is there any kind of a, any, any sort of a national effort to standardize elections? I realize the Constitution essentially gives states control over their election systems although I, I don't recall it being quite that explicit in the Constitution. You're the lawyer, I'm not. Um, but is there an effort to standardize voting systems across the United States? I, you know, arguably the 2000, what was it, 2003 or four, whatever, whenever the Help America Vote Act was passed, that that was pitched as an effort to standardize elections, you know, handing $6 billion to the states to buy these voting machines from these largely Republican partisan corporations like, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So is there, in, in the minute we have left, Bob, any efforts out there to do this, and, and where do I sign up? Uh, well, uh, Hank Johnson uh, there in uh, Georgia actually uh, had a bill. I testified before Congress uh, with a variety of other election integrity activists, and uh, uh, he put in a bill to attempt to standardize it. Uh, we've actually been going in the other, other way, Tom, is that... Uh, uh, they haven't been standardizing. They've been allowing uh, less power uh, to the uh, various bureaucrats uh, that look at this, these machines. So, uh, and the scantrons uh, could really be useful if we went to open source and actually had an image that matched the paper uh, trail, but right. they're allowing them to be shut off. That, that's the problem. Right. And we don't know who's coding them. And also they're allowing cellular access to them so someone can call in and adjust them during the campaign. That's incredible. That. That's it's cellular access so that they can adjust them during the campaign. I'm so encouraged. Bob Fetrakis, the, uh, the author, prof- uh, professor of political science and attorney, uh, freepress.org is the website. Bob, thanks so much for being with us today. All right. Appreciate it. Tom. Good talking with you. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more of the news of the day, your calls and my thoughts right after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Jack in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Jack, what's on, what's on your mind today? Hi there. Um, my main reason for calling is about the tax bill, but I'd like to make a real quick comment regarding Franken. Mm-hmm. So if the um, Southern Christian evangelicals 
are showing their true state of their morality by supporting more, then I think progressives and progressive Christians across this country can show that forgiveness is appropriate when a moral lesson has been learned and a contrite appeal for forgiveness has been made. And Franken has done both of this through his public apology and his offer to step down. So I forgive him. I think he should be allowed to stay. And you can bet that his awareness of his behavior has been permanently changed for the good. Yeah, I, I, I agree with virtually everything you said. The one thing I would add is that, you know, the decision to stay or leave should be up to Al Franken um, but, or, the, or the, the citizens of Minnesota. Um, but, you know, say la vie. Yeah, you wanted to talk about the tax bill, John, Jack? Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to figure out why the Republicans are pushing this tax bill that's universally condemned as unfair and unpopular. They're pushing it because, so because the billionaire donors um, who got them power now want their payback. Well, you know, I, I think that there's a, a really cynical calculation going on here on their part. And I think the bill could probably be renamed the Republican Door to Future Elections Act because they, they know they're going to lose control of Congress next year. They're almost certainly going to lose the presidency in 2020. So how can they ensure a possibility for getting back into power, you know, eight years from now? Well, they'll, they'll pass a tax scheme that, and the limited regulations that, that uh, will ensure the economy will crash while the Democrats are back in power. Yeah. Their, intent, their, your, their intent is to load the national debt to such a degree that Democrats will be forced to raise taxes to maintain solvency. And, and this is kind of a tried and true weapon of uh, social conservatives who are pretending to be fiscal conservatives. Yeah. They, they learned this with uh, Reagan administration. I agree. I absolutely agree. I would add one wild card into that, and that is Janet Yellen. Janet uh, Yellen has been dissed by Trump. Uh, and she's being replaced. She was the first female member of the of the Fed. She is the first chairperson of the Fed in in my lifetime, I believe, who was not reappointed as the administration turned. I mean, Greenspan was in that seat for what yeah. eighteen years or something like that, sixteen years, and and uh, she just uh, a big story in today's Financial Times. Um, basically, she and the Fed just announced that this this month, sometime this month of December, that they are going to raise interest rates by. Uh, you know, more than a few basis points, maybe as much as a full quarter point, 250 basis points. We'll see. But uh, if yeah. they substantially raise interest rates, that's going to cool the economy down and that could provoke the crash, you know, early next year. Um, and, yep. and that could be her revenge on the way out. You know, oh, you didn't like me, huh? Well, here, have this. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, Jack. But I, well, I, I don't we'll disagree see, with your I, analysis. I think it's a really cynical move on their part. Oh, you betcha. It shows their true colors. That's, that's, yep, that's you know, cynical is, the middle name, is their middle name. Jack, thanks for the call. Benjamin in Madison, Mississippi. Hey, Benjamin, what's up? Hey, Tom. I just wondering, maybe you could help me figure something out here. It's just been kind of going through my mind. I can't quite get a grasp on it. Um, why, why do you think that, that so many people think Al Franken should have uh, a new process, but the candidate in Alabama shouldn't? I don't think anybody is suggesting that Roy Moore should not have due process. Are you are they, you they, saying they pretty much convicted him? They've called him, a, you know, and I'm not defending him. I'm just saying I like things to be even handed, you know, that. Yeah, Benjamin, so do I. And, and let me interrupt you, if I may, and just point something out. And then you can react to that. Um, sure. The. The, uh, Roy Moore is getting political due process tomorrow. The voters of Alabama tomorrow will decide whether Roy Moore is going to be the senator or whether Doug Jones is going to be the senator. That is a form of due process. In fact, in the political world, that's the ultimate form of due process. Al Franken will not be facing his voters. Instead, he's being, 
he's basically being pushed out of office or he's deciding to, to leave office. Although, again, he's left himself a couple of week window and, you know, we'll see what comes out during that period of time. But if you're a fan of due process, in other words, a court trial, uh, the, 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 the court of public opinion is what went after Franken. Arguably, there is no real due process there. The court of the elections is what Roy Moore and Doug Jones are going to face off in tomorrow or are in the process of even today. And but tomorrow will be the decision. And so I would say that, uh, you know, Roy Moore is getting due process. Al Franken is. Well, well, I think personally, I think Al Franken was uh, the main reason Al Franken was forced to resign. And all these senators and congressmen came out almost overnight at one point was because of the heat the Congressional Black Caucus was giving them over uh, Congress. And, you know, it was unfair to him that they were being equated. Well, why does the black, you know, Senator Congressman have to resign, but the white one doesn't, which was totally unfair. I don't think that was part of the equation at all, Benjamin. Um, I mean, that may be the conspiracy theory on Fox News, but I've never heard anything like that from any Democrat. Uh, this this it's is on, it's in record. Yeah, no, I, I just I just wish you know I'm I'm I, not I really, buying it. I really, uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I just said I'm not okay. buying it though. I'm not buying that well, that I, conspiracy I'm theory. Not it, but I'm just repeating what people have said. But yeah. but the thing I feel it's a that troubles me about this whole Moore situation is I think these women, some of these women have come out have lost their credibility on this issue of, of uh, the accusations, and I'll tell you why. There was a runoff with, I think, the man's name was Luther Strange. Right. Okay. None of, nobody said anything. If Luther Strange had won, it would have been a slam dunk for the Republicans. Yep. If, 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 if Roy Moore were to win, Democrats knew that they had some sort of ammunition here that they could somehow use to get their Democrat elected. The fact that it became a strategy into not saying something before he was elected, to me, taints it. Yeah, you're turning this into a giant conspiracy theory. I don't think that these women, Benjamin, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut you off here, Benjamin, because I, you know, I'd like to finish my sentence. I don't think that these women were sitting around going, oh, gee, uh, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's hold off on our story. I think this has more to do with the timing of the Harvey Weinstein case and the whole Me Too movement than it has anything to do with the primary election. I get it, the Fox News conspiracy theory, oh my God, the Democrats are out to get us, blah, blah, blah. I'm not buying it. I'm sorry, Benjamin. I'm not buying it. And you should probably watch a lot less Fox News. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, it's a fascinating week. Tomorrow's a big day. If you're in Alabama, remember, vote straight Democratic or for Doug Jones, but not both. Your vote will be thrown away. And uh, get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 